Big Ten dudes, this is the Awesome Cast. And welcome to the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. I'm Basil. I'm Kevin. I'm Douglas. And that's us. We're back. It's 2020, and it's an actual. Well, I don't want to say not an actual Awesome Cast because a good chunk of them now are the Tennessee crew. Yeah. Just talking about stuff. Yeah. But no, this is a real thing. We're talking about an actual anime movie, ride away by Masaki Wasa uh, and Studio uh, Science Saru. It's gonna be fun times. But of course, we always. A, um, our hearts and thoughts and prayers and every good vibes for our folks in Nashville and Tennessee. They just got wrecked by a really bad set of tornadoes. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's called the Community Fund is a really good spot for people to throw uh, donation dollars to. I, I've seen that repeated a lot. So please, if you have it, go do it. It also never hurts to give blood. It's true. But before you do that, wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands. And wash Wa- your blood. Wash your thumbs. Wash your hands, wash your thumbs, wash your blood. Wait, how does that work, Kevin? Very carefully. Okay, okay. It's it's a sick world out there. It is. It's, uh, hopefully, when this goes up, there are still listeners. Uh, I mean, yeah. there'll be some listeners. Yeah, Barry was very, <laughs> Barry is very concerned about the coronavirus. I mean... Very concerned. <laughs> like, there's reason being reasonably aware of it and taking measures to prevent it. And then there's reading up on all the conspiracy theories and yeah. being hyper aware of it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, hopefully you kids are, you know, washing your hands with soap and but giving you know, a little extra scrub than you, you usually do. Yeah, but it's totally man-made. <laughs> All right, so in this episode of The Illuminati. <laughs> Man, the Illuminati were technically real. They were found in Bavaria by Adam Weishaupt. <laughs> like, that's actual yes. history. So in this episode of Doug Talks About the Illuminati, I'm not actually talking about the Illuminati. I'm actually talking about the Chinese government fucking up. <laughs> So, what happened with... So, the thing about the coronavirus that is worrisome is that it has uh, several parts of several... Like, it's technically related to the... What is it called? Uh, well, I know this is actually a strain of... SARS. Uh, SARS. Like, it's... Like, uh, of all the... um, Of all the viruses that we've seen that have come out and had this, like, pandemic-type effect... Uh, the coronavirus is most similar to SARS, but it has lots of other, like, interesting little bits in it from HIV, from Ebola, from things that are just not generally, uh, related to that strain of viruses. But viruses, like bacteria, can do this sort of, uh, thing where they absorb, like, random fragments of RNA that are just, like, hanging around in the environment. And that's what I actually think happened, is I actually think 
that the Chinese Center for Disease Control, I don't know what it's called, but that's what it is. I think they were researching a whole bunch of other diseases, and somebody just missed the memo on how to keep a, a, a stage four epidemic lab actually clean. And, uh, yeah, I think they were just studying stuff and accidentally mixed all this RNA together, and that crafted this super, super long gestation period, super uh, virulent virus. Just mega manned up the bits it needed. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it just kind of cobbled it together. And then, because they were failing to maintain a stage four lab correctly anyway, somebody just got sick and walked out. Far from the craziest theory I've heard from that, about that. Well, that's my personal conspiracy theory on how I think it happened. I don't think these stories, like I, I don't think these stories that it came from the open air market are actually true. I think that those are are, are very likely and possibly where the person who left the Center for Disease Control went. But <laughs> so you know. I know you'll never admit it out loud, but China, if we hit any nails on the head, uh, we just like a little private note to let us know. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm you know, pretty sure China just, just done fucked yeah. up. Just, just professional curiosity. We we swear we won't tell the world. Uh, also, if you could like free Hong Kong, that'd be... Free yeah. Tibet! Fuck that! Free Tibet! Well, how would they free both? Yeah, free both of them! Yeah. Just be cool, China. Be cool. And I get that I'll never be able to play Hearthstone now, but... Yeah. that That's fine. In other conspiracy theories, um, we're still not quite sure how they goofed up the anime of Black Clover so much. Oh my god, it's so bad. Well, I have just not been watching, so... Oh, it's uh... so bad. I don't know what exactly they did so terribly wrong, because I have faith when Basil tells me that the manga is is okay. It's perfectly readable. (laughs) Perfectly readable. Oh my gosh, I watch the anime and I just get so angry at it. Its storytelling is actively bad. There are way too many instances where uh, we go back to a period where there was some downtime, so something could have happened, but it turns out this whole elaborate adventure that they just kind of didn't tell us about happened, (laughs) and now we're caught up to speed in the middle of this other story arc. And I know that, that that smacks of filler, um, it sounds like they've injected a lot of filler into this anime. I don't know that that's what's happened. All I know is that when I watch it on Toonami, it's actively bad. And oh, it wow. makes me angry. Yeah, I've, I've not been watching Black Clover, like, ever. I, I, I'm sure that Mike is also killing it as, you know, as as the cool dude of, ah, of the yeah, pair. Yeah, of course Mike is playing the cool dude. <laughs> um... And maybe if they had played Micah playing everybody, it'd help fix things. But, well, you know, there's only so much good voice actors can do for you. Well, and the animation looks crappy, too. Like, uh, I don't, again, I don't know how it is in the manga. I don't really read the manga. But the character designs are a big pile of garbage. Every you know who's animating that off the Uh, Perio. Okay. Okay, I was just, I, I... It literally is, like... Their new Naruto. Yeah. Like, everybody moves stiff and stilted. Uh, it's it's almost like they took the philosophy of how to animate One Piece and then applied it to this show, only this show is not 
as good as One Piece. <laughs> like, in any stretch of the imagination. Because, <laughs> you know, my first thought is, well, if it's Toei, totally, Toei only has X number of good animators, and they kind of rotate them around shows sometimes. But... Yeah, it, it's, it's like they figured out, it's like they looked at Toei, how do they do animation, and decided they could do that, but not have a good team. <laughs> I am that that is not so you know. Well, if you were trying, if you were trying to convince me, I should give Black Clover a shot. This no, failed miserably. No, <laughs> so. I want, I want, I want Adult Swim to stop airing it. Like I, yeah, you, they don't have to stop producing it. I guess if Japan likes it, whatever. But it's actively bad, and so I don't know why it's on television. Hmm. So let's go from actively bad to actively good with our Moments of Awesome. It's a Moment of Awesome! I'm going to go first because I want to talk about the Final Fantasy VII Remake demo that finally just hit. And that was, and it's crazy that I've played it and Kevin's played it, but Doug hasn't played it yet. Yeah, especially since I spent years convincing Basil that Final Fantasy VII is good. Like, and I really think it's a case of I remember playing it the first time. I mean, way back in in, in the, you know, the early you know, mid nineties. Yeah, we're, you know, we're talking the PlayStation version. Yeah, 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 PlayStation One, where my friend Seth accidentally spoiled me on a character death, which I guess is now relevant. Maybe we don't know yet. <laughs> um, but chances are you probably know who I'm talking about, anyways. But so whatever. <sighs> uh, and he felt bad, so he sold my mom. Like, his old PlayStation, because he moved in with his boyfriend. And they didn't need two PlayStations and two copies of Final Fantasy VII. And so I got Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy Tactics, and Castlevania Symphony of Night uh, for Christmas that year. And boy, that was one of the best Christmases ever. In fact, I'm pretty sure I talked about that during our our PlayStation episodes many moons back. I mean, I know I've heard the story, so maybe I'm just remembering that. But I think we did. Um, also, PS2 apparently just turned 20, so yeah. go back and listen to those retrospectives. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job. Anywho, so I remember playing Final Fantasy VII multiple times, mm. you know, and long conversations with Kevin on the phone, because, kids, that's what we had back had in the day, just the day. actual telephones, yeah. not cell phones, actual phones, and we would we would take up all our parents' time that they could use the phones just talking about Final Fantasy VII, and I was just having all sorts of issues that every time I played through it again... And I think what I was actually having real issues with a lot of it was probably the translation by Sony, <laughs> because I think they actually took a couple steps backwards than the than Ted Woolsey stuff in from like things like you know Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger. And so I've been really, really wanting to play Final Fantasy VII again, but with a new translation. Yeah. And I think this remake is actually the best chance for me to get that. So I was actually very excited to try this version of the game. And I've played it, and it's pretty good. I'm not actually... I'm, I'm sold on the graphics. I am so, even kind of sold on the English voice acting, though I don't plan on playing it with that. Now I kind of want the Japanese cast more. Yeah. But the English voice acting isn't bad. I do like seeing, like, Jesse and the uh, Biggs and Wedge, you know, actually getting some actual, you know... Get a little bit of characters. Well, they got some characterization in the game, but, you know, here they, like, walk and talk and have expressions. And you, you get you get invested in them a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And so, in the combat, I'm... 
once you, I think once I get my head wrapped around it more, I'll like it more because it is very much a whole bunch of systems. Yeah. Like interlocked and they don't exactly fully explain how everything's really working. It's almost Kingdom Hearts with no jumping, but sort of like semi, like time slow down when you choose an ability. Um, well, it's like, so you, you have your action button with the square button, yeah. right? Haha, <laughs> square button. Um, it's funny because it's made by Square Enix. Um, <laughs> and you use it as your filler button. Yeah. And you're using that to fill your ATB bar. And then you use the ATB bar to use things like your special actions, items, magic. And that's where all your real damage and effects come from. And eventually you can uh, put pressure on an enemy. And then for, if you put enough pressure, you then stagger them. Which does seem like they cook out of like Final Fantasy thirteen and its cousins. Uh. Like it's an action game now. Huh. Now, there is quote-unquote classic mode, yeah. where what that does is it auto-attacks and defends for you and evades, so it fills up the AT bar for you, and then all you have to do is focus on making your ATB yeah, decisions. Yeah, try that, but... Um, which I thought was neat, but it also locks you into easy mode. Yeah. And so I kind of wish you could choose classic. Kind of like how in Fire Emblem, where you can choose your difficulty, but also whether or not characters have permadeath or not. Right. I would kind of like that. I would like the ability to choose classic mode, but then choose classic mode with whatever difficulty I wanted. Um, it's certainly different. It's it's very modern Square. Yeah. Um, I've heard some comparisons of things like Dragon Age 2, but good, uh, which I can sort of see. Um, but we'll see. I know, I know. I felt when I first did the first boss fight the first time, it was taking forever. And sometimes I would get very annoyed because clearly Cloud and Barrett were dying, and I wanted to use an item, but I couldn't because their ATV bars weren't filled enough to use an item. Yeah. <laughs> and that was frustrating. Yeah, I, I'm actually a little worried because I really enjoyed the demo, and traditionally, the Final Fantasy games I really liked, I hated their demos. But... <laughs> well, I think this in this case, this was literally the first part of the game. Yeah. Like, I think we just straight up just got the tutorial section of the game. Yeah. And usually when I'm talking about, they like threw you into some sort of like middle of the game with all, like all the abilities you'd have at that point in the game unlocked, except you don't have any idea how it works. You haven't built your way up into it and you're just like, um, it looks pretty. I don't know. I guess I'm buying it anyways. Cause I kept buying them even when I hated the demo. So, you know. <laughs> but man, the orchestrated remixes and rearrangements of all the themes are super good. Yeah. It really, really, to me, hammers in the concept that, you know, Umatsu just got stuck with MIDI yeah. for the PlayStation initially because it was so early on in its lifespan right. that he didn't have really have all the or orchestral samples to really make his music sing. But now he does. And it all sounds really good. Um, I did like the opening cutscene of Eris, Aerith. Who you actually um, don't know yet, I don't think, how we're going to spell her name. Right. <laughs> Uh, where she's just looking at, a, at an open uh, Mako drain yeah. pipe. So you see her like concerned looking at this energy seeping out. And then as she's walking by, someone actually steps on one of her flowers. So it actually really hammers in on the whole central, you know, themes of we're ruining the While earth. Still being very nearly the original opening in, yeah. you know, with, of the game with, you know, better graphics and more orchestral music. 
and especially with you know the whole way more pressing concerns of climate change yeah than we had in the early 90s when yeah. it was a thing but we didn't quite realize how much of a thing it was now it's like yeah killing the planet yeah <laughs> yep you know, uh, maybe this terrorism thing's a little extreme, too. You know, you know, I'm right here with the avalanche. Let's blow this shit up. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, uh, I enjoyed the demo pretty well. I'm kind of concerned how well this whole new comp system is going to really work out for me. But I'm glad that Kevin enjoyed it, and I'm excited. Maybe next episode we might get Doug's impressions on it, because... Yeah. They're making me download it right now as we yes, speak. Yes, it's true. Yes. I, I I am I am holding a gun to Doug's PS4, you know, making sure that it downloads. Well, I mean, I was going to buy the game anyway. Right. Because I just usually don't play demos. Yeah. Like, I have to admit, I am worried about it not being, like, the classic, the, the, the classic menu selection. But, you know, whatever. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I, I'm fine with them changing how the gameplay works because it... In many ways, this is a new game. You know, they they're they're really blowing up the Midgard section to its own like 40, 60 hour RPG experience. When Final Fantasy VII was a forty sixty hour RPG experience, we'll see, we'll see. So yeah. we'll yeah we'll see how it goes. And I also get that you know this is modern Square. This is not classic Square. Though a lot of you know Kitase and Nomura working on you know yeah yeah. I kind of hope that the game throws at least a few curveballs for people who played the original game. Just, just go, what? But, you know, I'm not sure what I'd want those to be exactly. But, you know, that's the point. I want you to surprise me just a little bit. I mean, one of my favorite things from the DS Final Fantasy IV remake, you know, was when they would change how the battles worked. Yeah. Like, it was turn-based, but then they go, ah, you thought this was going to happen in the battle, but no, actually, it's this. And I was like, what? And, you know, yeah, it was... Yeah. So, I, I would like some, some twists and turns. That would That would be cool. So, Kevin, what's your moment of awesome? Uh, my moment of awesome is uh, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol. Well, specifically the uh, TV series that is was on the streaming DC Universe. Although, reason why I mentioned Doom Patrol over, say, Harley Quinn, which I also really like, is that you can actually buy Doom Patrol on Blu-ray or DVD, and it's fairly inexpensive, even though it's going to get another season. I got my copy for like 15 bucks. Um, but Doom Patrol is really good, guys. Uh, it is, uh, well, you know how, like, with Guardians of the Galaxy, there was like an earlier version of Guardians of the Galaxy, but they're not the ones everyone likes. It's Doom Patrol's like that. This is, there was the early version... And then, like, Grant Morrison came in in the 90s and wrote Doom Patrol. And that's what this is based on. And Grant Morrison is a weird guy. So, and this show has kind of captured at least some of that weirdness. And what I think makes Doom Patrol kind of interesting is they, one, don't really think of themselves as superheroes. But two is all their superpowers come with crippling drawbacks. It's like, you know, it's... Cliff Steele, the robot man, he is a human brain in a completely mechanical robot body. He has no sense of touch or taste. Mm. <laughs> you know, and he's just like, yeah, he's super strong and can take a huge beating, but, you know, he crushes plates accidentally, or, you know, it's... A... How very boomer of him. Yeah. 
Or, or like um, the Bubblegum Crisis Boomer, not the yeah. OK Boomer. Or Crazy Jane, who has 64 multiple personalities, each with its own superpower. And some of them are not nice. <laughs> um, some of them are just plain weird. And they all live in a little world inside her head that's actually a part of an episode. Um, you know, or the Negative Man, who, you know, was a cool Air Force pilot who got bonded with an awesome energy spirit that can, like, fly around and do all kinds of stuff that also gave him horrible burns. And he can't control this spirit at all. It just does what it wants. <laughs> and, of course, uh, Elasta Woman, who is actually in almost all iterations of the team, who, you know, can shapeshift and extend her limbs and grow in size. And, you know, if she loses her focus, she turns into a gelatinous blob. <laughs> uh, that kind of stuff. Also, weirdly, second episode on, joined by Cyborg of Teen Titans fame, because, I don't know, they needed a fifth guy. <laughs> but it's actually a pretty good iteration of live-action Cyborg, so I'm okay with that. And, you know, they just kind of go on wacky adventures. Um, like, including literally fighting the narrator of the story at one point. Um, <laughs> Is it another character, or just actually the narrator? Well, yes, and yes. Because this is kind of weird. Like, okay. it, it gets weird. There's, like, donkeys with parallel universes inside them. Uh, sentient, genderqueer, teleporting streets. Uh, a reoccurring nemesis who are a cockroach and a mouse. An actual cockroach and a mouse. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a weird show. And it, it's we're very true to just the psychedelic bizarreness of the 90s Doom Patrol comic incarnation, and I'm like, I, I'm surprised they went there. I mean, I, well, I mentioned Danny the Street, who is a great addition to the DC Universe and is a real character in it, who is a, is a sentient, genderqueer, teleporting street that just attracts misfits and outcasts to live on them and takes care of them and seems to gain sustenance from the people being there being happy. <laughs> And so Danny takes care of Danny's people. You know, and it's... Danny's in, like, three episodes, and it's awesome. They've got, you know... And that's just... Like, I know it's going to get another season, and I think it's actually going to be on HBO. But, like, I'm hoping they get even more of the weirdness. Like, I want to see the Brotherhood of Dada. Like, I want to see the quiz in live action, because the quiz has whatever superpowers you didn't think of. That's the quiz's power. <laughs> Like, sure, maybe you saw it of super strength. Maybe you saw it of vulnerability. But did you think of teleporting bees into your lungs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Like, oh. that's like, that's, that's the kind of weirdness Doom Patrol's bringing to the table. And I'm like, I, I want more of this. And it was ridiculously cheap. <laughs> it was like. Yeah. All right. So, Doug, what's your motive? Awesome. <laughs> My moment of awesome, um, well, I have two. That's fine. I saw this movie called Mother! Exclamation point. It was actually made in, in, in 2017. It turns out it was all, oops, all allegory. As Kevin described it when I told him about this. Uh, he, he, Kevin just looked at me and said, oh, you mean oops, all allegory. I sadly did not catch the allegory upon the first viewing of it. It was only after I saw it and then went, 
okay, what the hell? There's a lot of other symbols in there that I missed. What are they? Yeah. Uh, and I looked it up and I read somebody say that, oh, it's all allegory. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I missed that. But it's really interesting. Uh, the takeaway I actually got from it was uh, the stress of living with somebody else who is famous was was the interpretation I got because it's told from the perspective of this woman who has this really nice house and she's trying to maintain this really nice house. And her husband is this famous poet and it starts with, at first, some, at first this random guy passing through who turns out to be like a super fan of the dude. Uh kind of barges into their house and then one thing just leads to another and then really quickly their house gets overwhelmed for one reason or another. And then it, everything they manage to kick those guys out and they kind of reset. And But then the poet ends up writing this new book and the new book attracts so many fans who come in and invade the house. It's actually a retelling of the Bible <laughs> is the correct... Um, is is the correct interpretation of it? But I saw the fit. I, I saw how difficult it can be to live with somebody who is a fan. And I feel like you know, death of the author a little bit. Like maybe the author meant like the biblical thing, and it's definitely there. But other interpretations are just as valid too. <laughs> it's true. I mean, art is what you make of it because yeah. you're the one interpreting it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one moment of awesome. Okay. I really like that movie. I want other people to watch that movie so that I can talk to them about it. <laughs> uh, and then the next movie is Hunters, a new Amazon show. Which I was definitely curious about, and for some reason the internet seemed, at least the people I follow, seem to be reluctant to weigh in on its quality. Which is dumb. They should just say that it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but what is it? Well, it's about a group of people... In uh, based out of New York, who decide to get together for various reasons uh, to hunt a bunch of Nazis who are living in the United States and kill them. Which is okay, yeah. always a good thing. Right. <laughs> and so it's a Nazi killing conspiracy theory romp, and it's fantastic. Uh, so, as a person who actually lives in Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> Who was born here and grew up here? The show big, uh, the show uh, throws a slight at us during one during the one episode, uh, and this is the episode before they deal with Werner von Braun. I actually think they wanted to deal with Werner von Braun in this episode, but then somebody discovered that Werner von Braun had died before their historical fiction was set, and so that was like a monkey wrench. So they just kind of made up another guy. Yeah. But it's, it's true. Yeah. Like, it's one of those, they made a jab at us, but it's hard. The jabs that really hurt are the ones that are true. <laughs> so pointing out that we're a southern city with, that had, uh, that after World War II is where they moved the German scientists to. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and they loved it here. They oh, thought yeah, it was yeah, absolutely no, yeah. great. Uh, and that's awkward and uncomfortable when you think about it too much. I mean, honestly, we still have some of their, like, family and descendants living in Huntsville, Alabama today. <laughs> yep. And, you know, hopefully they're not Nazis, but... <laughs> well, uh, the thing... 
the thing is, is that the show paints all of these people very decidedly as Nazis. Yeah. Um, I know in the case of Werner von Braun, he was a card-carrying Nazi. Yep. But he never believed in the genocide part of it. He mostly just wanted funding for his building his rockets, and that is still an ethical question of why didn't Which, we speak up? You know, were weapons of large scale destruction, if not mass destruction, and he wasn't shy about you know using slave labor, yeah. <laughs> which was composed of uh, Jews and the other various people the Nazis didn't like. <laughs> so I was I was grateful that this show took a hard look at a figure that. Again, growing up in Huntsville was one of my childhood heroes oh, that yeah. we talked really highly oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. like, As a kid with an interest in science, it was like, oh, Order von Braun, yeah. You know. Well, like, he he donated our major, um, oh, my brain is blanking on what it is, the uh, giant telescope and um, thing that you look at stars with. The Hubble telescope? No. Um, uh, uh, you go in Huntsville. Observatory? Observatory, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I cannot believe my brain could not think of it, but you know our civic center is based off you know named, named after, after him. him. Like you know he's he was a major major figure in our life, like, and oh, we yeah. were very you know Miyazaki the Wind Rises about about him. Yeah, yeah. Where he was just a conflicted being who who really just wanted to make rockets. Well, that's the, the story that was always told to me as a child was that he he never wanted to work for the Nazis. No, he was totally a, like. He was totally a Nazi, uh, but he never committed war crimes. Is where, whereas this show paints him as a man who committed war crimes, and that part is not true. But other than that, it's just some good Nazi killing fun, and uh, the show does have a lot of heartbreaking moments where it makes you almost want to cry and it gets you upset. It really makes you understand how horrible, how horrible what happened, like how horrible Auschwitz was. They really depicted how terrible the Holocaust was. And so I feel that everybody should watch it just so that we remember how bad how bad it was. And it also is continuing to make me angry at China some more. <laughs> Going back to some of my Illuminati discussion, let me explain why I'm mad at China. <laughs> So, uh, there is a Muslim minority population ah, in yes, China yes. that has basically mm. been living in internment camps. They're not calling them internment camps. Uh, well, we re- don't call them internment camps either here. They, they are re-education centers, teaching them how to be better Chinese citizens. First of all, that should be scary just on its face, just right there, without yeah, having to explain yeah, yeah. any of it. Uh, but... In case it's not, that is pretty much a pretty point-blank cover-up for internment camps. And so now now that the coronavirus has hit, and it's really a problem in China, the Chinese are having a real problem with it. Uh, It shut down a lot of their factories. While it's not as big of a concern here in the United States, in China it is. And they had to shut down a lot of their factories. So in order to open up the factories for American and worldwide consumers, they are sending the people who were uh, essentially quarantined at these camps in to go work. Oh. So. That's not good. No. No. no, That's that's very not good. 
like, just be cool, China. Just, just be cool, guys. Come on. You, you wrote three of the great epics of human literature. Just, like, be cool, guys. Yeah, just be cool and catch some waves <laughs> at the most awkward transition <laughs> I could possibly think of to, to move on to our actual topic, the movie Ride Your Way. <laughs> <laughs> to you basil i did this <laughs> i talked about nazis and the terrible like human rights violations of the chinese government and now we're making you talk about this anime go ahead talk about your anime basil no we're gonna take a break first <laughs> we'll be right back this straight real quick that while we were taking our break basil tried to say okay and now we got to transition to talking about this cheerful anime and i don't think basil watched the same movie that me and kevin watched there is nothing particularly cheerful about this anime even the happy parts are not really that cheerful because you know what's coming and so it's really just setting you up like was the beginning of up cheerful i mean for a little bit for a little bit so the beginning of Up was cheerful now, for a little bit. Admittedly, when I first watched Up, I didn't know where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you you guys are on the record as saying the beginning of Up was cheerful. For a very for, little bit. For like at least a good 20 seconds. Okay, okay, that's where we're at. You know, that little, uh, that, that little first little meet and cute and oh, that's adorable and oh, oh. Yeah, so the first section of this movie feels like that. Kind of. A little more, a little longer. Well, I really wish you would wait till we actually start the movie itself, then get into this tirade on me. <laughs> I would have loved to explain what the movie was first before we get into that bit. No, tirades happen as tirades happen. Yeah, that's okay, fair. Okay, so, you know, ride your wave, everybody. Well, much like the movements of the ocean waves, you never know when things are going to hit you. Did you write this? No. That was us off the top of the dome. Oh, cool. That was, that was pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with that. <laughs> so this is a movie animated in Japan. So yeah, Rider Wave, animated by, you know, Studio Science Sour, directed by Masaki Wasa, who is, you know, most recently maybe Night is Short, Walk on Girl, 
um, Lou Over the Wall, uh, Devil May Cry Baby, another very cheerful anime. Uh, and actually, you know, cheerful anime, keep your hands off Isekin. <laughs> yes. Um, it was written by uh, Ryoko uh, Yoshida, who's worked on things such as Kaleidostar, Tokyo Mew Mew, Violet Evergarden, K-On, Girls und Panzer, and a bunch of other shows. A bunch of other shows I didn't watch, but... Uh... Um, and then, Maybe man, I should reevaluate some of those. Right? Right. I, I really well, I really enjoy Star, and I really think I need to give Violet Evergarden a chance at some point. But it's been tough scheduling things in. But music um is by uh Michiru, uh Oshima, who did uh Golf Force the Revolution. I mean, that was just Golf Force the Revolution. True. But also Magic Users Club. Project Blue Earth SOS, which is the only OAB series I've that I love that nobody else even knows about. Uh, Kevin's favorite show, Zammed, Lost Memories. <laughs> I barely remember that show. Uh, and other um, Masaki work, uh, The Tatami Galaxy. And also everyone's around here's favorite, favorite show, or one of our favorites, Little Witch Academia. Yay! Uh, that had good music. And Kevin the Weirdly hasn't seen Tatami Galaxy, and this upsets me. Yeah, I... I should fix that. Yes. Yes, you should. Because, especially the more and more you watch the anime I watch, the more I go, I bet I'd like the Tommy Galaxy a lot. You would. But that's a... Uh... And then one of the important things, the film's theme song is Brand New Story by Generations from Excel Tribe. And you'll hear that song a lot in this movie. They're really banking on you liking that song. <laughs> Which, thankfully, I did. It's a catchy little tune. Yeah. And so we've got um, our main character, uh, Hinako. Um, she's a 19-year-old who has just moved to a uh, Oceanside town to attend college. And she uh, she's a really good surfer. She loves catching those waves. Yeah. And then we've also got this um, guy named Minato. So we've got... Hinako and Minato. Minato is a um, firefighter who has always thought of, you know, Hinato as his hero. And they get together and become a really endearing couple. They're one of those couples that are so obviously in love with each other that it kind of makes everybody else around them a little sick. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're literally described that way. Like, that's the yeah. little sister's whole perspective. Yeah. It's a, a thing that, like, uh, the friend, the friend firefighter, yeah. you know, kind of comments and idly. And even her, like, two school friends, I think, say something Yeah, they, they lovingly yeah. tease on it. Like, yeah. They're just like, you know. Uh-huh. Like, they're very obviously in love with each other, very obviously good for each other. They bring out the best side of each other. Yeah, and they're, they, they you know, find... They have mutual interests. They get each other interested in their interests. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's cute. It's adorable. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, oh gosh, this is one of those movies that's really hard to do spoiler-free because yeah, you can only get about like you know I don't know twenty minutes into the movie before yeah, <laughs> without spoilers. <laughs> it's like so. Our spoiler-free section kind of really stops here. Except, you know, eventually there's Yuasa magical realism and strange happenings. Uh, who? I 
feel like I feel like somebody recently actually made a quote about that, but I don't remember who it was, whether it was the guy who does uh, Voice of a Distant Star and Your Name and that stuff, or if it was Iwasa. Um, but the, the comment was that generally the best kind of movies and stories that have, like, a really huge impact are basically normal stories with just a little bit of magic. Yeah. I can accept that. That it's basically a normal story, except this one magic thing. Yeah. I, I do know that apparently uh, you also did um, describe the film as a simple rom- romantic comedy. Yeah. Uh, that will have lots of exciting scenes, including some depicting the contrast between water and fire. Yeah, and the that... surfer girl with the firefighter. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to say I appreciate uh Japan's recent trend towards firefighter heroes. I I kind of like this. I I don't know. I, I Oh yeah, dig we're it. like I've already pre-ordered the Blu-ray for Premiere. Mm-hmm. We're totally forcing it upon Doug and it's going to be great cuz the studio trigger at their best. Yeah, I mean, it's not nice. going to be much forcing. You'll probably just really like it. Yeah, you will just yeah. show up and show it to me yeah, and I'll like it. It'll, like what? It'll be cool. And then we can finally talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's been the trick lately. We've, there's been a bunch of movies like in theaters that we've seen, mm-hmm. like Premiere, like Doug couldn't make it. Then there was um, Weathering with Weathering You, you that you couldn't it. make it. Um, so there's there are movies that we've been wanting to talk about, but not all of us, all three of us have and been able to none assume of us, the Triforce. None of us went to the My Hero Academia movie, and it's somehow still in the top five movies, like, of movies out right now. Weathering with You <laughs> was really good. I just want to put that out there, that that was a good movie. It was a good I really enjoyed I it. I have a strong suspicion I would really enjoy it. You would. Uh, but I, not, yeah, I, I was it's, you know, duck. Spoilers, it's not quite your name good, but it's still really good. Yeah. I, I, oh yeah, I was stuck working that day. Yeah, that's why I didn't go. <laughs> and this game, this game, this movie is also good. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, 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 okay, alright, so it's more of a melancholy movie. Definitely. Um, but... It is, this movie is its own wave. Like, it, it comes and goes. There's high points and low points. And um, I, I really feel that the structure of it very much felt like, you know, it, you're, you're, you're having to navigate all the emotions he's kind of throwing at you. Because things definitely happen um, with crazy awesomeness eventually. Yeah, yeah. Waves are a good metaphor for this movie. And that is the trick is that, you know, for good chunk first chunk of this movie it's pretty i don't want to call it by the numbers but it kind of is like it, it's a at first it's like this is a good movie i don't know if you also had to then you also things happen yeah like um, up to a certain point it's like i don't even know why this is animated but you could do this as a live action drama and you, you'd you'd probably have saved money um, Honestly, it's really not until the end because even the special effect could easily be replicated with special effect. Yeah, uh, it's not really until the end of the movie where it, where we have our climactic finish, where we really see the spectacular animation that we came for. Well, yeah, and and that moment was truly spectacular and awesome. The the colors, uh, the movement, just everything about it was so. Fluid and wonderful. But it was also really neat seeing Yuasa like stretching his limbs and doing something understated. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, like, this was just kind of good human drama for a lot of the movie. You know, it's kind of weird to say, like, oh, man, he was doing something understated. He was really stretching his range. But it was. Like, this is... This is a little bit unlike some other movies. Like I'm thinking, compared to like things like Nice Short Walk on Girl, which yeah. is which is just crazy all the way through, yeah. but in a good way. I mean, I mean, it's, it's surreal from start to finish. Um, the uh, cast was um, Ryota uh, Kata Yose, who was Minato, who is one of the singers from Generations um, from Excel Tribe. So, you know, of course, he, he probably performed the song. <laughs> probably. I would be, not be surprised. Um, uh, Rina um, Kawaii was Hinako. She was a member of AKB48 um, or 28. I might be thinking about the anime now. Um, There's, I don't know, There's too many idol groups out there. <laughs> I mean, the whole cast was mostly like live action folks doing animation voice acting. Yeah. And it mostly came across pretty well. I think it showed most with the little sister. I felt that her range was more constricted than an anime character's range usually is. And it actually very much reminded me of a person who was used to working with live drama. Like, yeah. the whole character. I, I can see that. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel the same way, especially with um, uh, Minako. Mm. Like, he, he, was, he was kind of... He was a little extra understated. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Hinako, I think she did a really good job. Yes. The actress did Hinako, I think she did a super good job. Um, I'm glad that she was the main character. Um, I think she was easily someone that everyone could sort of, you know, focus in and attach to. Um, I really enjoyed, um, the acting, you know, there. And also, of course, all the visualizations of the character and doing stuff and having little cute things. And, oh man, when... They put their two phones together and it forms like a face. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh my uh, gosh, I want to do that with Barry now. Like, I want like, to make like conjoined cell phone cases. That's such a cute idea. Ah. Oh, they were. It was. Oh god. The, they, they were. They were. Sure, it, it is very much the epitome of like a really cringe. Oh god, they're really into each other. But it was also. Oh, they're really into each other. Yeah, it's so sweet. I loved it. And then spoilers happen. And then spoilers happen. So spoilers. spoilers. They always happen. <laughs> well, to be honest, what kind of story would you want that didn't have some kind of spoiler? I mean, well, that would mean nothing happened. <laughs> and we're not talking about Seinfeld. We're talking about... <laughs> yeah. Kiki's delivery service. No spoilers happen in that show. Oh, there's spoilers. There's spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're like, what, 20-year-old spoilers at this point? <laughs> My neighbor Totoro. There's no spoilers in that. Well, there's a couple. But... See, there's always something you don't want to quite. There's always something you want to hold back and not tell the people you're trying to get to watch it. Nasca Valley of the Wind. There's no spoilers. Oh well, for yeah. Nausicaa. Nausicaa is the exception. There's no spoilers in Nausicaa. It's exactly what you see on the tin. <laughs> the wind rises. No, I actually do really like making war machines. Anyway, well, that was the first epi- part of this episode. Not not now. No, un- unfortunately, um, uh, Minako, Minato, he goes out to catch some waves when he shouldn't have and goes under and passes away. Well, while and, trying to save somebody else who was drowning. Yes. So, he, like, he, he which I think he did. I think he success. I think they alluded to that he did successfully get did. that person to safety, yeah. but he 
but he did not make it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know he, big damn heroes it like you know a good firefighter would. But uh... and you know, you know Hinako is of course distraught. Yeah. Like her probably her life partner, the person she was yeah, that yeah, destined to be with. Like they were so in sync with each other. Like they were almost certainly going to get married. It was. <laughs> And that's, that's that's a deeper spoiler. We'll have to go another level into spoilers about that. Uh, I think we're really we're, we're in spoilers we're now. In spoiler land. Like I, I think you know, spoiler land. It comes pretty quickly in this movie. Um, it you know it's 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 kind of like we were trying to review up, like yeah. as you were mentioning earlier. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like you know, it's this really happy love story for a few minutes, <laughs> and then oh god. That took a turn real fast. Well, at least I, in relation to Up, I gotta give Pixar a point for giving me the really heart-wrenching moment early in the film so I could just have fun for the rest of the movie. Um, but... So there's this one scene where they're at, uh, they're at the tower. Mm. They're at the, the, the local big tower. And they're talking about how, uh, if you get in line long enough, far enough in advance, they will they'll record a message. Yeah. Well, guess what message the guy had recorded that she didn't hear until the next year. Like, right after, like, a year anniversary after he had died. Uh, yeah, that was, uh... That's how the movie ends! And that's how the movie ends! <laughs> well, she... It, no, it ends with her catching one more wave. Like, she gets that back on the That ending was clearly tacked on so that they didn't end it the way Iwasa obviously really wanted to end it with a girl screaming and crying into a puddle. I mean, I think he saw what... I can't end it there, can I? No, I can't do that. No, he totally could have ended it there and should have. That was the end of the movie. I think that was the producer who talked to us in the, uh, the, the afterwards. I think she went, you can't end it there. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you, you, we can't end it there. <laughs> but what we're not talking about is the whole middle section. The whole of middle part, <laughs> where it's actually the most Yuasa-like. <laughs> where one of the main, this main theme, this main theme song is the song that they don't, she doesn't realize that got them together in the first place way beforehand. But it's like um, totally their song. It's they, totally their they had, song. They had a song. And she starts singing it to herself. And then a water spirit version of Minato shows up. Like it starts appearing in nearby bodies of water when she sings and talks to her. And well, first he just kind of does a little shaka hang ten thumb and finger thing that you can't see what I'm doing because this is audio. Uh, hopefully you know what I mean. Because <laughs> they do it a lot in this movie. They do it a lot. <laughs> it's a surfer thing. Yeah. But, well, it is. It's clearly a thing of, he saw surfers doing it once, so he thought, oh, this is cool now. Yeah. I'm going to do it because the person that's most important in my life is a surfer, which we don't quite realize yet. Because this movie does the super good Yuasa thing Yuasa can do, where he takes this thing that you don't realize is all important until he loops it right around bat something in the past. You're like, oh... So, that's what was going on. I hate to break it to you, Basil, but I totally identify that that's what was going on the very moment it was mentioned <laughs> to me in the movie. That was super uh, predictable and telegraphed, but still good. Still good quality. Like, like, well, what I mean is that he is he does this a lot. Yeah. yeah. Like, he does this in Tatami Galaxy, where yeah. you don't quite know what's going on, you know, 
And I don't think you'd have told me that you would have figured out you know, Thomas Galaxy trick until I didn't it quite unveil- figured out Johnny until it builds a trick. Yeah. And this is also a much simpler story than yeah. It, well, it's a simple trick. Like, it it's is- a simple trick. It's he casually mentions to his friend of that girl points to that girl and goes, "That's my hero," and. And then, like, casually throughout the rest of it, yeah. he mentions how he was saved, you know, right. early on. So it's really easy to put it together that that's what this is. But the still act of him putting it together for you is still... It's still beautiful. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know those satisfying gifts, like, where you're watching it and, like, somebody just, like, perfectly peels off a sticker or from an electronic device or something like that that it just you know it's going to happen but it just feels so good when it does <laughs> that's this movie yeah it's like that and so yeah he appears and eventually realizes oh no this is him yeah this is legit is his spirit the way this movie's been going there's a moment of like um I'm not sure if something magical is happening or if she's just having a really bad psychotic break. Yeah, it lets you think it could be a psychotic break for quite a while. Like, her carrying around uh, the blow-up dolphin (laughs) that they got when they were dating, only now she's filled it with water and she's convinced that he's inside of it. And, you know, no one else can see him, so it's like, um... Uh, is this just this is is this something magical or should we be really worried about this girl? I mean, the answer is we probably should be really worried about this girl. She's obviously distraught, even. <laughs> and then, and then this also leads to the great moment where you know he's starting to, to get real, worried about her. To, yeah. to get worried about her, as she like uh, somebody comes in and uh, confesses his love. Somebody new comes in and confesses his love to her, and she runs to go summon him in the toilet bowl, which is the nearest body of water that she can access so that she can talk to him privately. And he points out, you're talking to a toilet right now. Maybe you should think about going out with this guy. I don't know. Because his whole thing is that he's like, look, I'm I'm a spirit now. I can't be with you like we wanted. But I am here for you until you're ready to let me go. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. But, you know. We do eventually get a moment where the water very definitely and obviously comes to life. And I'm like, oh good, something magical's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the obvious. <laughs> and then, you know, there's also the whole thing where there's these idiot kids of firecrackers. Y'all... Don't be idiot kids with firecrackers. Yeah. Can you please not? Because like, the same idiot kids with firecrackers in like two different years in a row do really dumb things with firecrackers. <laughs> well, you know, the first time was was the moment that actually united. That's where they. Yeah, Hanako Minako was yeah. like he he saved her from the top of a building that was on fire because of stupid idiot kids uh, with fireworks. And you know the big final major scene is those same idiot kids did not learn their lesson. And found an even worse building to set a fire because they were just launching fireworks. Yeah. Like, I love that, you know, this building that had this, like, giant old dry Christmas tree inside of it. Yeah. It was, like, the size of this giant building. That was just like a, yes. I was like, oh, no, this is definitely catching on fire. I was definitely, this is, this does not end well. 
and I'm also appreciative of the B plot between um, Yoko, um, uh, Minato's sister, yeah. and also his buddy uh, Wasabi. Yeah, the, or Wasabi, the only really experienced voice actor in the cast. Yeah. <laughs> but he's good. He's good. No, no, he's good. He is a great kind of the, the the dopey friend. And in fact, over the course of the story, he levels up a bit from dopey friend to actually pretty good firefighter. Uh, and, but... and, and you know, Yoko. I mean, she. Is very much the Sundari character for this, where she yeah. is the uh, very socially awkward little sister who really just wants to be left alone. Um, whose you know hero ends up being the brother, but the brother is you know his hero is Hinako, um, and you do get the big twist at the end of like, oh wait, she is the one that saved him, and that's why he always has eye on her, and that's why he was you know doing the you know, the whole Hang Ting thing, and it all like coalesces to this. He has to save her, and she has to get back on a surfboard, which she hasn't really touched, because her boyfriend and probably fiancé died due to waves, and he was like, no, you've got to get on that surfboard, you've got to ride that wave, because we've got this really big animation number all set up, and <laughs> you've got to be the person doing the surfboard thing, so uh, get going. And then they do it, and holy balls... It's yeah, it's a work the, of art. The surfboarding down the magically animated water off the burning building is, you know, I once again the producer lady was like when she first got told this, she could not visualize how this was supposed to work until Yuasa like handed her storyboards, <laughs> and then it was like, oh. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a great interview moment at the end of it because yeah. she was one talking, and and also you also really get some. Oh, this is why they're doing Azekin vibes. Yeah, um, <laughs> where she was like, and she's like, so we're gonna have this like big building on fire, and then we're just gonna ride a wave down this burning building and, and put it out, and you know, it's gonna be great. And she's like, what? <laughs> He's like, no, no, don't worry, I'll I'll show you. It's gonna be fine. I've already got them all mapped in my head. I'm Masaki Uasa. I'm a crazy mad genius. I've got this, alright? Like, this is going to be great. And then it was. Because he is. And, you know, the, the, the beta couple pair off, and our heroine is left, you know, seeming like she's at least going to, like, be able to move on with her life. Even yeah. if she's not really over it. It's like her, and whoever really is over a major loss. But, and it's, you know... But that she could move on with her life now. And that, you know, she, she could go find what else life had for her now. And so it, there's, a, there's a hopefulness, but you know she's still really broken up. <laughs> well, and she also, you know, and also at least we know that she's also, she's becoming a lifeguard. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually really, in fact, like that element that she does get her, like, you know, lifesaver qualifications by the end of the movie you find out and it's like well that's good that's a good thing to do with her life you know she can because she was always never quite sure what she wanted to do with her yeah. life you know that was one of the big things for her was that she was like oh i i'm really good at this whole ocean thing mm-hmm. i i should be a lifeguard like i should be someone you know protecting to make sure this doesn't happen again and that was that was a really good moment for her yeah all right any other thoughts before we Take a break and go on to questions from internet folks. I still think the movie actually ended with her crying and screaming into a puddle with grief. I think 
If I, I mean, that, been... That's fair. I mean, again, it is art. You may take that interpretation. That's... I think if I was writing the story... That's where I would have cut yeah. it off. Like, I, I, yeah. I hear what all the things you're saying about how good it is to know that she finally followed through on becoming a lifeguard and everything. But no, it yeah. ended with her screaming into a bottle. Well, I... And this is super and almost stupidly on brand of me. But if I was writing it, she would have hooked up with the boyfriend's sister. Yeah, I know. I know, Kevin. And then, you know, the whole saving of the boy burning billing and them, like, holding on to each other. There would have been more of a symbolic connection than that. And the brother of... I don't know. It's just, but very definitely her two college friends were dating each other. They were definitely a couple. Good Kevin. <laughs> Good Kevin. Because Kevin's got to find that Yuri content in the movie somewhere. <laughs> Even if I have to make it up myself. <laughs> Look, fan fiction is valid for you. You can have your own headcanon. It's cool. Take, again, it's art. You take your interpretations, Kevin. It's, it's fine. Okay, questions. All right, let's take a break. Pause. And we'll come out questions from internet listeners like you on the Awesome Cast. All right, and we're back again with questions from listeners like you. Let's start with this guy named Charlie. Charlie? Charlie. Charlie? First question. Charlie. How is he so awesome? How is Charlie so awesome? Well, he just, how is he so awesome? I'm guessing Masaki Uwasa would be the Uh, guess. Well, because he tries to learn surfing about his surfing movie, even if he never really got the hang of it. (laughs) Which just makes me wonder if he tried to summon the devil while he was working on Devil Man. He doesn't bother with shadows on his figures. (laughs) That's another answer to the question. True. I mean, I... Like I said, the man's a bad genius. Yeah. Like, you know, I really, really remember really realizing when he gave me like a 17-minute short film of a heartfelt story of a a luchador and his like bondage uh, nun. (laughs) It was a Romeo Juliet story for the ages. Kickheart. It's it's a, it's a thing. Yeah, Kickheart was sort of cool. <laughs> Next up, should I see this movie? Why and why not? Um, from having... listen to this podcast. Yeah. Yes, the answer is yes. Although having a brief Twitter conversation about the movie after the fact, I'm not sure if he actually wants to see it. <laughs> well, he's wrong for not wanting to see it, but he should see it because it is a good movie. Um, it is beautifully animated. It is a little bit sad, but it's not that sad. All right. And from Austin, um, I should say Charlie on Twitter is at the sommelier. Uh, Austin is bebop shock. Bebop as in cowboy bebop and shock as in you a shock. Which is a reference I hope all our listeners understand. Right. At least at this point. (laughs) So having not seen the film yet, 
How does it stack up among Yuasa's other films, specifically? Series, not included. Hmm. Hmm. And he said, by and large, it's much more overall understated. Yeah. Yeah, I I really feel like I like The Night of Short Walk-On Girl better. But I'm here for the uh, weirdo surrealism from start to finish. Um, that's kind of what attracted me to Yuasa as a creator to begin with. And... But I really like Ride Your Wave, but it's a very different sort of movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm I'm the same. Um, really, I've not seen every single movie he's done. Like, I still need to see Lou Over the Wall. I yeah, I do too. I well, I generally think that much like a lot of things, this is a top tier movie, and this could hit like this movie could hit you as your favorite. Iwasa movie. It didn't particularly hit me as my absolute favorite Iwasa movie, but it's an honorable mention. Like, I feel like if you just have just a slightly taste alignment difference, you'd love it more. Alright. And then from Tobias at Reverend, I think underscore Tobias? In Leaders, how many tears did you collectively shed? Five. Five leaders? Maybe five. Maybe four leaders? I mean, there was... I mean, I didn't, I mean, I teared up a little bit here and there. I didn't tear a lot, but it was definitely very, very yeah. sad moments. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did actually move me to tears. Um, but as I stood up, like I heard, uh, I, I heard other people say, I only choked up twice. Uh, <laughs> so I think I, I'm just abnormal in that, that I got excited during the sad moments more than I got sad. Um, <laughs> Kevin? Well, you know, there's no Orange Road movie. That broke me. But it, it definitely... You definitely... The sad moments definitely feel... Feel you, you sad. You feel for it. Yeah. You feel for it, and it's, it's you, you get a little misty-eyed. I mean, this isn't Anahana, and it's hitting you over the face with the crying bat. <laughs> like, Anahana hits you with the crying bat. Until you are nothing left. It is very good at doing that. This movie is just has very good sad moments. Well, the whole movie is about moving on. Like, yeah. it's about, like, going with the highs and the lows of life. And so it does have these really profound moments, but it doesn't stay on them for very long. And it moves along to one of the high moments, to one of the moments to get you excited and happy again. Like, it's got a lot going on. All right. Can you still hear the song in your head? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I specifically, uh, I can still hear her, like, slightly off-key singing it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I like the song as well as they were hoping I would. So I'm... There comes a point where I'm like... It didn't even register to me that I was supposed to like it. It Because the number one way that you hear it is, is her like, yeah. singing it in order to summon him. Uh, it, it it felt like a plot device. Like she may have been reciting the Dragon Slate for all I cared. <laughs> yeah. I was sort of like, okay, yeah, summon your boyfriend. That's uh... a... <laughs> Alright. Which sea creature do would you self-identify as? Now, that's a serious question. Oh, I already know the answer to this. Uh, I would be a sea dragon. 
a, a leafy sea dragon. Not like, not like, uh the mythological creature, but the actual real, like, creature, which are a type of seahorse, only they're, oh. they don't have the tail, they're, they're, they have a structured body, and they, they float around softly. I want to say penguin, but I'm probably a walrus. <laughs> seahorse, all the way. I'd like to be a mantis shrimp. Because they, they see all the colors, especially the ones we don't, and can punch so hard. They've turned the water into air. Oh, I miss my leafy sea dragon friends. <laughs> but, they used to have them in, um, in in Chattanooga at the aquarium, and I would go all the time, and I would see them because they were they were like my people. They were just like hanging out. Um, I'm probably just really some kind of jellyfish who floats around, zaps you if you get too close. <laughs> Favorite scene: the toilet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the toilet scene was really fantastic. Yeah, especially with the, I gotta think something's wrong with you if you keep talking to the toilet. <laughs> or a year later, after he's de- been dead for a year now, <laughs> and there she's at the tower again, and she hears on the intercom his voice proposing to her. It's just like, oh. <laughs> yep. And, and, and so she breaks down and cries and screams into a puddle. That's a really good moment. <laughs> it's a really powerful scene, definitely. On a scale from one to hashtag goals, how much did you like the main protagonist's relationship? Do you feel Hinako's grief was portrayed in a healthy way? Hmm. Uh, okay, I super relate to that relationship. I feel that that is basically how me and Barry are a majority of the time. So I really liked their relationship. That was cute. I I think she eventually ended up in a healthy place by the end of the movie. Like, I I don't think she was... There was a chunk of the movie where she was not in a healthy place and not moving on. But Yeah, so that question is hard to answer because I don't think she was handling her grief in a healthy way initially. Though, but a believable way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God, if something happened to my to Anna, I would, I would be so, so you know, I'm I, oh, I. And I'm mm. like over here as the you know the single one, although I was married and am now divorced. And you know, after I got divorced, even though it was probably a well, definitely a good thing. I was kind of messed up for a while. Like, I was emotionally messed up for a while. <sighs> yeah, and my fiancé of seven years uh, had just broken up with me before he died. So, yeah. I wasn't quite in the same headspace of this is my life partner who has who has passed away. But... Even having not, even though like he wasn't my life partner, it was still really, it was still really upsetting. It was even more upsetting when the seven year mark hit and I realized that he had now been dead for as long as we were together. When that came and went, that was really, really upsetting. And I don't think the grief is really. And this is that moment when I realize, oh, God, that means my mom has been passed away for, like, seven years. Yeah. Oh. 
But that was the same year. Yeah. Oh, year. that was a bad year. That was a really bad year. <laughs> Did they really die the same year? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even realize that. So, I mean, as well as James's mom. Like, it was, that was a... For that, really bad it was a really year. bad year. Really um, bad year. So, so yeah, grief's a thing. Um, <laughs> so Torahed was worst waifu. Who animates water better, Ghibli or Science Saru? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my real answer was going. I, I was going to say uh, the studio that does. The studio that did the raindrop anime that we just saw. Oh, um, Makoto Shinkai Shinkai Studio? Yeah, I was going to say Makoto Shinkai Studio, but then I realized that that's Studio Ghibli. Sort of. Basically. (laughs) Sort of. He did sort of take them, apparently. Like, he took a vast majority of the animators from Studio Ghibli. (laughs) Uh, So, I guess that's my answer, then. (laughs) Boy, not to take away from the good water effects and, you know, riding your wave, because the water was cool. The water was cool when it was doing stuff water most definitely doesn't do, though. (laughs) Yeah, the water was at its best when it was its own artistic thing. Yeah. Although, the actual, you know, the waves for, you know, surfing, that all looked really excellent. Yeah. Yeah. But... Boy, am I gonna... I'm actually leaning towards Ghibli. <laughs> well, it's also hard, because Ghibli, I feel, has gone through various phases. Yeah. Even though Miyazaki's been at the helm for so long, I, I kind of feel that there's two different, like, demarcations uh, of Ghibli-ness, uh, or Miyazaki-ness, and so it's like... Man, I don't know. Because the water in... It, it's also just two different takes on water. Right. You know, and... Was there a Ghibli movie that re- Ghibli movie? How do you pronounce that? Is there? Did they ever really f- have a movie that really? F- I guess there was Ponyo. Yeah, I guess Ponyo is one that really was like all about water. <laughs> and I may have to go science horror on this one. I think, but then again, I haven't seen Ponyo in forever. And we're one of the few that really liked Ponyo. So a lot of people thought that was one of the weaker Studio Ghibli movies. What? No, Ponyo was great. Liam Neeson very much wants you to meet his wife, the ocean. <laughs> All right. So, is the romance, quote, real, unquote, and well-written? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, that's, uh, that's some real, uh, like I, that intense sort I of... don't know if they necessarily make you super root for them, like, as far as mm. as far as that goes on the romance, but they definitely make it feel like these were, this was a real couple that really loved each other, and they were planning to spend their life together. Yeah. Um, other question, next question was, does Lou make a cam- cameo? And I'm not sure, because unfortunately, I wasn't paying attention for that. Not that I ever saw, but... Yeah, I haven't seen Lou over the wall, so I don't know know how to answer that. Yeah, I haven't, but I think I know what the character looks like. But uh, not that I ever could tell. Alright, and then our last question for this is, does this movie make you want to go out and surf? In parentheses, I am horribly terrified of the ocean. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of makes me want to surf a little bit. Just a little bit, though. Just a little bit. Uh, I still mostly want to... 
want to dive. Mm-hmm. It's mostly what I want to do. It actually sounds more fun because I could never get the hang of skateboarding. And the one... I've honestly never properly learned how to ride a bike. The one time I went out ice skating, I gave myself a permanent scar. I would probably not do well on a surfboard. Oh my gosh. So when I was in Belize, I went snorkeling. And oh my gosh, it was just an amazing moment of like, I was just, I was snorkeling uh, and just kind of like wandering through the reef. Um, Not going down in it. uh, the, the, The place where I went snorkeling in Belize, like the reef was, was just like a, foot below the water like there was just enough water for me and my body to get over the reef with the coral without touching it uh like and part of the reason why i had to go really slow was and stick to like the crevices between the corals was because it was so shallow um and it was amazing it was so vibrant and colorful and wonderful but then i got to the i got to the drop off mm-hmm. and I was kind of like laughing to myself, going, "I wonder why people are scared of sharks." Ah. And then, like, I got to the drop off, and suddenly I understood because it was just this massive blue blackness that just suddenly opened up, <laughs> and you could see things off in the distance that were far enough away that your your foggy little thing couldn't make out what it was. So yeah. So. Tori, I don't know if that helps you or not. <laughs> so, being scared of the ocean. Fact, terrifying, and surfing is hard. <laughs> um, I am, my balance is non-existent. Much like Kevin, I can't ride a bike. And it took me a year or two to be able to go around a skating rink once. Um, and that was going in every week to try and skate. And I decided it was just not worth fighting my bal- bad balance to do. Um, and ice skating is right out. So no, me and surfboards, no. But I'll like chill out on the beach, maybe, you know, play in the early parts of the ocean if I ever get there. But that's, I'm good there. That's where I'm good. I have never actually surfed. Mostly because I've been going to the Gulf of Mexico as my beach of choice all of my life. And the Gulf of Mexico just does not have the waves that the Pacific or even the Atlantic has. Uh, the, and I only went to the Pacific Ocean one time. So, yeah, that's not enough to learn how to swim. <laughs> <laughs> well, not enough to learn how to swim. That's not enough to learn how to surf. Right. Kevin, <laughs> how many awesomes out of awesome uh, was Ride Your Wave? One flaming Christmas tree of awesome. <laughs> All right. Duh. He already took the number I wanted to use. Come up with a different one, Kevin. Mine's ah. better. <laughs> you can still use the number one. Come up with a different one, Kevin. Mine's better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just pulled out of my ass. Kevin, <laughs> go with the two potentially Yuri best friends out of awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the two potentially Yuri best friends at College of Awesome. Because, you know, that's what I was actually only thinking about through the whole movie anyways. (laughs) One, screaming into a puddle in grief of awesome. I'm going to break this rule. I'm also choosing one spirit-infused toilet. (laughs) (laughs) What about five liters of crying of awesome? (laughs) There you go. There was at least five liters of that 
met at all. Uncountable, badly considered fireworks of awesome. <laughs> One year later of awesome. So in many respects for me, like I think one of the takeaways I did take away from, uh, but also with Weathering With You and, you know, and, and Ride Your Wave, that we've got a really, I don't know if it's a case of this has just been the case in Japan for a while now, or if we really are feeling sort of experiencing a new renaissance of like, you know, awesomely directed anime original films. Um, at the very least, we're getting them now. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome. I mean, between the, like, Weather Review, uh, whatever Mom Hosted is working on next, you know, there's Mariah last year. It, it's a good time to be an anime fan. And at the very least, if not, it, it, maybe it's always been this way, but at least in America, actually getting these movies and getting the chance to see them yeah. in theaters is great. And I think... Yeah, a lot of people wondered what would happen to anime movies, you know, now that Miyazaki is quote-unquote retired. We'll see how long that lasts. And, you know, and Studio Ghibli is over. And the answer is, we're fine. We're getting awesome movies. We're getting poignant movies. And we're getting movies that maybe we not may have seen if Miyazaki was still doing his Miyazaki thing and telling everyone that they're terrible. I don't know. But I really, really enjoyed Ride Your Wave. And yeah, so this has been the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. Uh, a production of the Awesome Cast, edited by um, our my wonderful wife and our great editor Anna, who can never ever ride waves because I'll be scared. For, thanks to this movie, it's not that scary. Uh, okay, as long as I'm there to to to, to get her if, if something bad happens. Um, <laughs> anyways, our our theme song was made by uh, DJ Inabito. You can find him at djinabito.com or at Twitter at DJ Inabito. Uh, you can find Anna on Twitter at Angel Darkfire. You can find me on Twitter at It's Basil Time. Kevin's at Twitless underscore Kevin. Um, you will not find Doug on Twitter. You can't find me. I don't exist. Except on Redbubble, where you can buy awesome t-shirt designs and other things. Okay, touche. <laughs> we need to actually put some more stuff up on there. At Mitsu. Yep. Yeah, Redbubble, Mitsu. Um, no. so yeah, and of course you can find us at awesomecast.com. Uh, I know that Anne and I, we plan on really kicking back into at some point soon, uh, Touch by Duelist. We want to get back into that. Watching Touch and Yu-Gi-Oh! One episode at a time. Um, I definitely also want to get our 14 podcast going, uh, the Carbuckle Chronicle. Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but until then, find us there. Please tell your friends, give us reviews on things. All the stars would be great and amazing. Uh, and until then, we'll see you next time. Sure.